Welcome to Make No Bones. I'm Emily Barton Altman. And I'm Toby Altman. Make No Bones is a podcast about poetry and the creative life. Each episode, we ask a poet to read a poem and talk about it. They tell us how they wrote it and explain how it reflects the broader priorities of their work. This week's episode features Daniel Borzutsky. Uh, hello, I am Daniel Borzutsky. Daniel Borzutsky is the author of The Performance of Becoming Human, recipient of the 2016 National Book Award for Poetry. His other books include In the Murmurs of the Rotten Carcass Economy, Memories of My Overdevelopment, and The Book of Interfering Bodies. He lives in Chicago. Daniel read a poem from The Performance of Becoming Human, and we talked about over-policing, privatization of education and city services, and the neoliberal experiments in Chile that are now coming back to Chicago. So I've lived in Chicago now for about um, 20 years. I, I, I suppose when I moved here, I didn't know that that was going to happen. Um, and, and Chicago uh, has um, really, I think, come to shape uh, the way I think about writing. And Chicago is like a really rich place to be a writer, not just because of all the other writers in town, which is true, but... Um, as as a city which is stuck in a variety of neoliberal experiments uh, on the one hand and on the other hand has a um, history of uh, violence and, and police torture um, dating back several decades and in a city that is so sort of rapidly destroying its public services uh, and that is so segregated, I find quite a bit to write about. Uh, and on the other hand, the city that's that's really quite beautiful as well. I could sort of spend my life writing about Chicago. I grew up in Pittsburgh, uh, and my um, parents were uh, migrants from from Chile. Um, so um, I grew up in uh, a bilingual home and um, in a city where there weren't necessarily many uh, many immigrants. Started to see um, Chicago and, and Chile as, as existing on very similar uh, scales. Um, so I've written about and talked about how uh, how the, the neoliberal experiments that came after the military coup in, in Chile, namely the um, destruction of the public school system, the um, conversion of the um, healthcare economy into um, Something completely privatized, the privatization of social security and of um, and of utilities and public resources, uh, which took place intensely after the coup, was designed at the University of Chicago. So I've sort of written about the ways in which I've seen it coming back to Chicago in terms of these privatization policies. In 2012, in Chile, when there's massive education strikes happening throughout the country. Uh, we get the Chicago public school teachers striking for the first time in 27 years, and um, the issues are very analogous, having largely to do with privatization of education, uh, which which in Chile happens at a had a, a, an even more intense scale than it happens here. Um, so part of what I began to think about was the way in which the economic policy that was designed here and imported to Chile and um, depended upon a brutal military coup for it to be implemented, that part of the end game was to ultimately bring it back to the U.S., but, and, and, but to Chicago. 
and then I guess as I was thinking about it more um, something else began to sort of crystallize which is that the the way so in, in Chile the economic policy depended on um, a government which was which was uh, brutal and which was torturing uh, and killing um, en masse and, and again I don't mean to compare the scale of Chile and Chicago um, but I think something in a broad sense, is is very similar about what happens here. The destruction of public schools and the abandonment of neighborhoods and the um, um, mass segregation and poverty that we see in, in parts of the city, that, um, that that goes hand in hand with the um, over-policing over and brutal policing of um, of communities of color in the city, uh, and that the two things prop each other up. That at the same time that we see uh, these extreme neoliberal privatizing practices in Chicago, we see that the people affected by it being um, over-policed. So I think on the one hand, there is a lot... Um, in this book that is sort of directly centered in Chicago, but a Chicago which is very much fused with um, with Latin America. I think there is um, as well a, um, a, a strain throughout the book of um, narratives or um, narratives about immigration in one form or another, um, and I suppose as well about um, policing and imprisonment. So I think all of that is is going through the book. Um, I think it's kind of asking questions about I don't know the narratives we tell ourselves about um, about our own societies and especially in regards to how we treat uh, other people and how um, how policing operates. And then I think kind of how we live with and absorb these various um, these various brutalities that happen. I think one of the things that's maybe different about this piece from much of the book uh, is that it's a little bit, especially in the the second section, um, it's a little bit more told from the point of view of, of, of the people who are actually experiencing the pain than the rest of the book is. The rest of the book tends to take a sort of broader look at um, various scenes of institutional violence from from the outside, whereas this one, I think, sort of zooms in and is is told from the, the point of view, at least the second part, of, of people who are actually being imprisoned. So it begins by talking about um, the west side of Chicago, uh, where uh, prisoners are tortured in a secret police compound. I'm thinking about their, um, the Homan Square, uh, what they call the Black Site, um, that was uh, established by the Chicago police, in which people were essentially uh, disappeared for short amounts of time. Um, essentially, uh, people would be arrested and not registered and um, or documented, and nobody knew where they were, and they were uh, sent to the site, which the, the lawyers who had been working on... Um, criminal justice issues and representing some of the people who had been detained there had, had known about it for a long time. 
I'm getting going to get the numbers wrong, but something like I think six or seven hundred people had been detained there over a period of time. Um, Ninety some percent of them were black. Um, there were um, many cases reported of torture. There was one uh, death that was um, reported there as well. So I talk about in the poem about this as a secret police compound, um, and yet everybody knows that it is operating, and it seems to me that that was to some degree true, at least within a certain um, the policing as well as um, the, the law community, or lawyer, some lawyer communities, and of course for the people who had been there. And then, you know, the whole second half of the poem has... Uh, the prisoners watching this film, right, which is this um, fantastical narrative of um, uh, immigrants crossing the border who are about to die uh, of dehydration, and rather than dying, um, they um, um, break into flight. I, I mean, so on the one hand, we know it's a fantasy, right? Um, but I, I suppose it shows an alternative to um, too much of the brutality which is in the book. So on the one hand, one could think of this like, okay, here are these um, people who, uh, rather than being beaten, are actually being treated nicely when they arrive into the United States. And then I think there's a part of it which is um, both criticizing uh, um actual immigration policy and how immigrants are treated, but then maybe a kind of um, uh, any kind of nationalistic ideal we have that that perhaps immigrants are well treated here as well, and that that, that can only be um, a fantasy, and it's a sort of fantasy shown to um, people who are already imprisoned in order to um, perhaps... Um, make them think less poorly about uh, the society which is imprisoning them. The song is it's called La Bruja, the witch, uh, and it's a Mexican, I believe it's an old Mexican folk song. Um, and beyond that, um, I don't know much about the origins of it. But uh, I think people are familiar with, with um, people growing up in Mexico, I think, would mostly be familiar with the song. Um, and um, I, don't know, I've, I guess since hearing it, it's um, something that's always stuck with me. And so I guess in the, in, in the context of the, the piece that, that it appears, I, I, I don't know if... Um, if the song came first or if the passages in Spanish came first, but I think um, having have, inserting the song into the narrative allowed for this sort of natural um, shifting between languages to happen. And it was important to me that the, the prisoners here in Chicago were singing the song in Spanish um, and, and to sort of think about, again, this kind of multi multilingual... Uh, communities and especially sort of policing communities that, that are happening here. I don't know, I think that's, that, that was a little bit of the, the fusion of the song, and then the song sort of becomes this um, starting point for this sort of fantasy of this other way in which, uh, I don't know, immigration policy might, might exist.
reading a poem from the performance of becoming human called lake michigan scene number x one c two nine zero point three four one a b three d y one there is a yellow barrier in front of a warehouse on the west side of chicago an authoritative body with a gun wears a leather jacket that says policia on the back of it there are no secrets the prisoners are tortured in a secret police compound that everyone knows about hola mira estamos en el centro del mundo no me gusta estar tan conectado a la tierra prefiero viajar por el espacio sidereal los planetas las estrellas el mundo me aburre dice el cuerpo autoritario me voy a chicago me voy a jupiter me voy a saturno vamos a chicago es mucho más fácil que nos maten o que matemos o que liberemos nuestras almas de nuestros cuerpos o vice fucking versa punto period do you read me yes hi see it's hard being in the center of the country being in the center of the country it's a bit like being in the center of the universe i'd rather be in outer space moving through planets and stars oh earth you are so boring not like on saturn or jupiter or the moon brothers and sisters and earthlings let us go to chicago it is so much easier to be killed there or to kill or to free our souls from our bodies i mean our bodies from our souls did you hear the one about the military gang that called the mayor in the middle of the night demanding money to save his daughter a girl's voice could be heard on the other end gagged and muffled but ha the mayor knew better his daughter was not at home she was vacationing on lake geneva on the southern tip of wisconsin the criminals were arrested after the location of their cellular phones was detected through sophisticated satellite software the criminals went to jail where they molded forever and ever two the authoritative body screen films at night in the prison camps on the beaches at the northern end of chicago there's one they project on sundays on the outer wall of the prison we sit on the sand and watch it under the mist and moon the authoritative bodies tell us to laugh and when we don't laugh they beat us they tell us to cry and when we cry they beat us they command us to make little sounds to signal that we are experiencing aesthetic or emotional pleasure as we watch the sunday night film that begins in a warehouse a holding cell for immigrants who are smuggled across the border meet m the star of the film she's a mother of three her children are in california she does not have papers she has paid a smuggler sixty two hundred dollars to help her cross the border when she makes it into arizona her family members will have to pay more money to finish the deal there she is in a cell crammed wall to wall with other people who have paid thousands of dollars and are now stuck in an airless shack until the smugglers decide it's okay to leave the sun rises and now she is walking through the desert overhead shot of barrel cacti brittle bush chain fruit choya joshua trees jumping choyas mojave aster soap tree yucca prickly pear cacti lizards gila monsters bobcats tortoises desert toads pygmy owls thorny devils the immigrants in the film are weak hungry barely able to move some are stumbling to the ground or crawling or completely unable to move but just as you think they are going to collapse from dehydration together they start to sing 
Ay, qué bonito es volar a las dos de la mañana, a las dos de la mañana. Ay, qué bonito es volar, ay, mamá, volar y volar y volar a las dos de la mañana, a las dos de la mañana. Qué bonito es volar, ay, mamá. And there's a miracle. They begin to fly. They begin to fly over the border like witches. They're witches, and they fly over the border, and they sing, It's so beautiful to fly. It is so beautiful to fly. And they do not die of dehydration, and they are not arrested. Their smugglers are arrested and forced to return the thousands of dollars they have taken from them. The immigrants fly and fly across the desert until they land in the middle of a cosmopolitan city where a handsome, kind bureaucrat takes them to a hotel where they are given a warm bed and bath for the night, a few hundred dollars to get to their next location, the appropriate documents so that they can have work and health care. They are welcomed by the bureaucrats with gratitude, joy, and compassion. Ay, que bonito es volar. And as we watch the film, they make us sing on the beaches of Lake Michigan. It is so beautiful to fly. So beautiful to fly. And we sing as loud as we can so that they can hear us on the prison ships a half mile off the coast. Ay, que bonito es volar a la dos de la mañana. A la dos de la mañana, ay, qué bonito es volar, ay, mamá. And tonight, as we watch our brothers and sisters flying across the desert, there are no machetes. There is no blood on our bodies. There are no forceps jammed into our orifices. There are no kicks, no blows, no handcuffs. Damn, it feels good to fly. It's what the body must always remember. This episode of Make No Bones was produced and edited by Toby and Emily Altman in Chicago, Illinois. The music for this episode is by Toby Altman. So we double-checked Daniel's numbers about Holman Square, and according to The Guardian, at least 3,500 people have been detained there as of 2015, and 82% of them are black. In comparison, the population of Chicago is only about 33% black. Only three prisoners receive visits from their lawyers while detained at Holman Square. If you like the podcast, please check out our website, makenobonespodcast.org, for all our old episodes. Or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please consider rating us on iTunes. Join us next time for an interview with Kevin Cabal.